Hello and welcome back to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. After a nice weekend with a Friars win, that's always how you like to have it. And it wasn't just any win. This was win number 300 for Ed Cooley. The Friars knocked off St. John's at home with a strong second half performance. Joe, what were your initial thoughts on that one? Um, so... Candidly, I did not watch the game live. Matt, as you know, I was away um, this weekend, so was not unable to watch the game. But um, I did watch the replay last night, and um, my initial takeaways uh, are response, and more specifically, responding to adversity. Uh, I think you know, coming off of a 32-point beatdown on the road at Marquette. The team responded well, and even in this overarching response of a win, we responded to a poor first half with a powerful second half. So there's the major response of responding to a loss with a win and then responding to a, a, a lackluster first half with a, a powerful and dominating second half. Yeah, and that's really that's what the doctor ordered for this Friars team. It's what they needed. They were able to figure it out, and it all went through the main man, Nate Watson himself getting on the Big East honor roll, 22 points, four or five from the free throw line, gets the double-double with 11 rebounds. So really big game for him, and and that's kind of what we expected heading into this one too with just how St. John's lines up. Yeah, Matt, I actually – I re-listened to our pregame podcast before – rewatching the game yesterday and we both said you know Watson is due um he had been underperforming a little bit and to no one's fault like it's not his fault but he was due and you kind of knew that going into this one he was going to kick um he was going to try and kick St. John's ass and he did just that 22 points 11 boards he, he was the man of the game he owned the second half was hitting everything with ease and you know, had a couple of emphatic dunks. You know, John Fanta on the call called that one put back uh, the, the exclamation point on the game or the dagger. I forget how oh, he referred nice. to it. But That'll it get you so out of your nice. seat in a hurry, one like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. But um, at the end of the day, you know, you, he was the player of the game. He He's the man that, you know, willed us to this victory. But it was – we say that, but it was also a well-rounded performance. You know, you can't discredit Manaya, Durham, Horkler, or Bynum either. Yeah, a lot of these guys stepped up. I think Bynum, once again, he's really come into his own. Why Alan Reed started over him, I do not know. We'll have to see if that remains the same when this team goes out to Omaha to play Creighton on Tuesday. But all in all, a a really solid end of game to close out the St. John's team. It's not often that you're going to commit 18 turnovers and only hit three three three-pointers didn't win a game by double digits, but that's what they did. The final was 83 to 73. You scored 83 points and you only hit three three pointers. That's because this team was disciplined. Hey, another reason for this free throw line. Is this the best shooting free throw team that Ed Cooley's had? You know, we say this uh, and I don't want to jinx anything here. You got to <laughs> knock on wood because the broadcasters jinx. It's real. It's a real thing. Um, No, I mean, there are definitely points in the season when I've been frustrated with the free throw shooting. I don't think um, we're as bad as um, years past. I I think there have been some seasons where I'm just absolutely appalled by the free throw shooting of the team. But I think this was a good free throw shooting performance. And, you know, there were definitely some some clutch, uh, you know, maybe not clutch, but some just some sigh of relief free throws late in the second half. I think Al Durham uh, underneath is so steady is the best free throw shooter we've seen. 
Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that both of them are uh, graduate transfers that came into the program for a fifth year. Uh, but, you know, regardless, I, I think the, the free throw shooting has been outstanding. Um, and to your point about Alan Breed starting over Jared Bynum, I think Cooley likes the punch that Bynum gives off the bench. Um and that's just speculative. I don't know if that's real or not, but if you look at, you know, how he's performed coming off the bench versus how he performs in the starting role, Bynum is much more of an X factor off of the bench. And I'm guessing part of that too, Breed's strength is his defense, at least on paper. So I think the idea is, all right, if your starting lineup is very defensive and you can really grind the game down and then you bring in your scorer and you take that lead, you're going to be in a good position. The problem was Alan Reed was just not particularly good on this Saturday. He didn't score. He didn't play great defense. The whole team was not very good in the first half, not as locked in as they needed to be. But, hey, I mean, they found they found a winning five. Manaya Durham, Horker, Watson, and Bynum. That's a five that'll win you games. Eventually, Reeves yeah. will come back and he'll help you with that. But they got five guys that can play with anybody in the Big East right now. Yeah, and I, I think this was the, the national narrative going into the season, too, is Providence's top six, and we'll include Reeves in this even though he's injured, Providence's top six are a tough out. And then even if you go beyond the tough six, you have a, a tough Ed Croswell coming off the bench. You have a defensive-savvy Allen Breed. And then even, like, Bryson Goodine, who hasn't seen the court a ton this season, but when he is on the court, he's giving, like, meaningful minutes, you know, defensive energy, hitting all those three-pointers against Northwestern. This is a Providence team that is as talented as it is deep you know you've got guys that can fill the roles but if it comes down to it ed cooley's gonna go with the top five guys which is exactly what happened you know i all five of the guys we just mentioned watson Manaya, durham horkler bynum played 30 plus minutes so i think that just yep. tells you oh no i'm sorry watson only played 28 minutes but uh, i yeah, digress a two, a two <laughs> minute difference so I think that just goes to show you the the stability and the confidence that cooley has in these top guys and it's also no coincidence that four of the five are, are seniors. You know, they're, they're guys who have been through the system, who have been through the ringer. Yeah, and, and Bynum's a guy with a ton of experience, too. He's a junior. This is his third year in Providence. This is his fourth year in college basketball. So he's a, an academic senior. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, these are all guys with a ton of experience. And, again, we talk about free throws. That's where that's an area where it pays off. Durham, six for six from the stripe. Horkler, four for four at the stripe. Bynum, eight for nine at the stripe. This team yeah. hit 26 free throws. That's just, I mean, that's incredible. That's awesome. It's a big way to play it. And it also leads into, I think, one of the storylines from the St. John side of things after this one, which, quite frankly, I did not agree with. I heard quite a few complaints about the free throw disparity between St. John's and Providence. And... I'm totally I think it was Joe Hassett who came out after the game and said if they called this game fairly, St. John's wouldn't have any players left because every one of them would have fouled out. (laughs) We can go into officiating um, after this, but for St. John's fans to to be upset about the free throw disparity, maybe tell Julian Champagny to stop uh, chucking threes with 29 seconds left on the shot clock. If you're upset about free throw disparity, 
take that up with Mike Anderson and tell him to feed the ball into the paint more. That's just a, a different style of play. You, you can talk all, all about the officiating that you want. You're going to draw more free throws when you play in the paint, when it's closer to other bodies, when it's physical, when it's banging around on the glass. That's how you draw free throws. Julian Champagny dribbling across half court and chucking up a deep three early in the shot clock does not get you free throw attempts. I don't care what you say about the officiating. That's just stylistic. Yeah, and it was only a four-foul difference between these two teams. It was not monumental. It's exactly what you said. The Friars got the ball in the paint. They would drive with their guards to get the ball down to Watson, and that's where they'd get the fouls. And also, they hit the front end of their one-on-ones. That helps you. You get more looks that way. So, yeah, so yep. no wonder there's a 13 free-throw disparity between these two teams. And I agree. It could have it could have easily been more. Obviously, the officiating was atrocious. I don't think the officiating was biased. I think it was just plain bad. It was just objectively awful across both teams. Yeah, that was (laughs) I'm not one of those guys. I try not to complain about officiating too, too much. At least I try not to blame results of games on it. And I don't think the result of this game was determined by it. But no. everybody from both sides was calling at the refs because they were just doing stuff that made, made you go, what? I mean, they drew out the end of this game, too, with reviews after reviews after reviews. They'd get the call wrong once, twice, and then a third time on the review. Like, it was just yeah. wild to watch. Also, not to mention, even on a play that benefited St. John's, it was late in the second half. Posh Alexander is driving to the cup. Bynum takes the charge. They call um, a block on Bynum. And then they count the bucket and Posh goes to the line like all this. There's all this nonsense. It's probably like a four minute span for what should have taken 20 seconds. And and even Mike Anderson is shaking his head. He's got his hand over his eyes. He's like, I don't know what's going on here. And the the call benefited St. John's. I think that that sequence in and of itself is just symbolic representation of the poor officiating. Like the the call benefits you. You you get you get the bucket and you get the, the free throw. And he's still upset about the call. And they're going back and forth to the monitor. Right There's no communication. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there was – oh, my goodness. There was the sequence where the ball went out of bounds. And I don't know who it went out off of because they didn't give us a replay on it. But the Friars – it looks like the Friars just threw it out of bounds for no reason. But the way it happened, it would clearly indicate a deflection. And every single Providence player immediately turned around in motion to the ref saying it was a deflection. Ed Cooley was calling to the ref saying it's a deflection. Ref grabs the ball, St. John ball, and they just start playing. Nobody goes over to Ed Cooley to explain what happened. Nobody goes over to talk to him. The refs don't even conference. They just keep playing. You're there to manage the game. If you have an entire team that is questioning a call, you have to at least speak to the coach about it and give a one-sentence explanation that's the bare minimum you can do there and you know it's bad too when the commentators who typically as a rule of thumb don't talk about poor officiating are talking about poor officiating i think the color guy was vin parisi and i you know i really like him he's very like level-headed you know gives you know he's unbiased and i think the same can be said about john fanta when he's the play-by-play guy very unbiased very enthusiastic but vin parisi was saying you know like you know let them play like not one possession has happened where the whistle hasn't been blown like you you are going to prolong what is supposed to be a two-hour basketball game into the two and a half the three-hour mark when you blow the whistle every time someone breathes on another player yeah 
Yeah, oh, exactly. And it was – it wasn't just, oh, they're going to – it wasn't – here's the thing. They called ticky-tack fouls, but they didn't, like, just call ticky-tack fouls all game. It wasn't an egregious number of fouls called. It was 40 total. I mean, that's high, but it's not anything super crazy. The thing is, you'd go at one end and have a guy get absolutely destroyed and then call ticky-tack at the other end. And it was both ways. It just seemed seemed like they just kind of blew the whistle when they felt like it and figured out the call after. That's that's how it felt for most of the game. And with some of them, it seems like they were just mentally flipping the coin. Like there was one play late in the second half where Al Durham went charging up across half court to break the press. And he looked like a running back and he sh- he lowers his shoulder into Julian Champagny and they called a block on Sh- Julian yeah. Champagny. And I, I was like, I was like, Durham looked like he was playing rugby right there. Like forget football. He looked like he was a rugby player. And, and I'm thinking like, oh boy, like. Like, if I was There's a St. John's fan, I would be mad. There was one play where they called a charge on Allen on uh, Jared Bynum, and Posh Alexander has a foot in the air, and he took the charge. Like, just awful. And the official was right there on the sideline watching. Just yeah, awful, awful officiating. And we'll, you, you and I, you know, we'll comment on officiating when it's bad, but as a rule of thumb, we never – you know, attribute a loss to officiating and you don't want to attribute a win to a, a poor officiating either, but it's definitely noteworthy. Like just, yeah, the, the, this is, the disparity of calls. And if you're going to complain about the refs, this is the time to do it. And a game ended up being a 10 point game and you won. We're in a position where we can complain about the refs and nobody's going to say, Oh, you're a sore loser or whatever. And nobody's going to say, Oh, it's because the, the outcome of the game. No, this is just bad officiating. This is, like and it's not it's not just the Big East. There's there's officiating issues across all levels of sports right now, but this is something I think the Big East has to look into because this is not an isolated issue. Uh, this no, might have been it, as bad as it's been all year at the dunk on Saturday, but that, that might not be the case in a couple of weeks. We'll see what continues to happen. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move on from the officiating and let's actually let's talk some basketball. Um, new rankings dropped. AP poll, Friars dropped to 23. Joe, I think we thought that was kind of fair for what we've seen from this team. I think that's appropriate. You know, there's a lot of back and forth on Providence Twitter right now about where we should be ranked. I think that's appropriate. You lost by 32 to a, to a excuse me, statistically inferior opponent. You're going to drop in the rankings, especially like a Marquette team that's been up and down the entire season. Um but I also think it's noteworthy. We're 20th in the coaches poll, and mm-hmm. the coaches poll is, in my opinion, more meaningful than the AP poll. And, and you can have, you can release an entire full length series of podcasts, like a full season's worth of podcasts, based on you know opinions and what poll and what ranking and what metric matters the most. If we're going to compare the side by side AP to coaches, I think the coaches has more weight and more meaning to it because the coaches are actually there. The coaches analyze the games, they scout, they coach the games. I yeah. think the coaches poll means more than the AP poll than some dumb writer in California that just looked at the box score of the Providence Marquette game and said, oh, all right, we're dropping them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and exactly. That's the thing. I'd Most times I'd say, yeah, the AP poll is better. Why? Because AP, like if you're a writer, you're going to cover a lot of games. You're going to watch a lot of basketball. If you're a coach, you're going to be pretty hyper focused on your team or your conference. You may not know what's going on around the country. With the way at least some voters in the AP poll have voted this year, they don't know what's going on in the country either. So I'll take the guys that know a little bit more about college basketball, at least from X's and O's. And let's also – I'm going to preface the next two weeks of Providence basketball with this. 
as a reminder, both of these polls, the power rankings. Like, what have you done for me lately? There's good teams that are not in the top 25 and teams that are way overrated just because of what has happened recently. A team like USC that hasn't – like all the computers have USC as a team that's in the teens. They haven't beat anybody good this year. They're a good team. Don't get me wrong. They're not like top 10 like they are right now. Why? Because these are humans deciding this and recency bias is a thing. So, yeah, the Friars have a tough stretch coming up. We're going to talk about that shortly. They could lose a couple of these games. And it, we're going to drop out of the poll if that happens. Don't freak out. <laughs> Don't freak out if we drop out of the polls. They're power rankings. Let's see what happens yep. in February and March. Yep, exactly. And as it pertains, while we're on the topic of national media attention and polls and where Providence stands and what's not, I, I also I want to throw another note out there to, to no escalators to Jeff Goodman, the national media, Seton Hall fans, UConn fans, Wisconsin fans. Providence played another game without A.J. Reeves, and they won. So does this game not count? How does it work? How does it work? Is Providence still lucky? Is Are we lucky because we lost a start and won the game? I just yeah. – I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm gonna really beat the hell out of the dead horse with this one because that take, that <laughs> take is it. absurd. This take is absolutely yeah. absurd that if you're missing a player – that the loss the that the the loss shouldn't count or that the the opposing victory should not count like teams have to play yeah. and deal with adversity across the country providence is not the only team that has played teams without players providence is not the only team missing a key player deal with yeah, it if this is if this is how we're doing then seton hall should not have moved up in the polls this week why because their win over uconn shouldn't count for much cuz this is a uconn team that hasn't practiced in 2 weeks but right here we are like, you got to call a spade a spade. This is basketball. If a team is literally missing, like, their entire starting lineup or only has one starter, then, yeah, you can talk about it. But it's a team sport. If you're down a starter or two, sorry. I mean, you still got to learn how to play. That's right. how this works. Yeah. And if your one starter that you're missing is so integral to your team that your team is going to start dropping games, that's a bigger issue than, oh, that team is lucky. That's maybe look in the mirror and realize you don't have the talent to compensate for a missing starter. And I didn't watch the postgame press conference, so someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Kevin Willard was complaining about the win over UConn when UConn was missing players. But when it's his own team, he's pissing and moaning to the media like it's our fault. Yeah. No, and it's if you're a coach, you got to advocate for yourself a little bit. But like, come on now. Let's let's be big boys. Let's be adults. There's hardship in life and you deal with it. If you win games and you play good basketball, like if you're whether you have 20 or 22 wins because you lost players at the end of the season, that's not going to be the biggest deal in the world. Why? Because it's humans that judge this stuff and they they will take that stuff into account. You don't have to advocate for it now. You don't have to complain and make your case right now. It'll all come out in the wash. If you're a good team, you're going to prove it. And if you're a bad team, it will be proven to you. That's how this works. Yeah. Very rarely do you see good teams that struggle to win. One more comment while we're on the topic of of luck and whatnot. If anyone didn't catch it or have the opportunity to read it, I would highly suggest um, FriarBasketball.com. Kevin Farhar put a piece out about Providence being the most fortunate team in the country. And there's just a quote that I want to give. Um referring to Jeff Goodman, who is public enemy number one right now. Um, 
uh, Farhar referring to Goodman goes, Goodman meant to disparage the Friars when he called them the luckiest program in the country, but he was right. Providence has certainly been quite fortunate to have Cooley at the helm over the past 11 years. Um, the article is great, very well written, and it provides some perspective on where this program was and where Ed Cooley was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, the growth that has been seen by both of them, I think it's a parallel story. When Cooley took the helm of Providence, he, he brought the program back to national relevancy while also, you know, improving his coaching resume. Um and with that, I wanted to to spark a discussion that for, good fortune, good luck, and just being clutch can all be used synonymously with respect to college basketball narratives, but each of them has a different connotation. Good fortune, as referenced by FriarBasketball.com, means the overarching good fortune of Providence basketball as a whole, the good fortune of Ed, of Ed Cooley, and just being fortunate that he has this opportunity to coach in the city where he grew up. And if you read the article, it talk, goes in depth about his entire story, his coaching career. It's really, really a heartwarming read. Like You're going to read it, watch the press conference with Ed Cooley, and everything yeah. comes full circle about this 300th win. When yeah, you talk not- about good – yeah, go ahead. If you're not subscribed to Kevin Farhar already, you're making a mistake. Go jump on that. Totally worth it. He's an awesome guy. Has great Friars coverage. Very well written stuff. So yeah, make sure you're doing that. Yeah, this is a program that's been very fortunate to get some of the players we've gotten to get a man the caliber of Ed Cooley as your head coach. I know that's something he stresses quite a bit. These are men that he's raising. He treats every player on this team like his son. That's awesome for the school. Awesome for the program. And then. Even in addition to that, the cherry on top, they play good basketball. They've played good basketball for a long time. And I, we're very fortunate, very lucky to have this man as our head coach right now. As he's doing, I mean, he's he's put together one hell of a team this year. Um, yep. While we're talking about that, 300 wins, I think we should look forward a bit because there's another number here. Ed Cooley, 208 wins as Friars head coach. One more, he's going to tie Dave Gavitt. And he's got an opportunity to, to do this Tuesday night at Creighton, 9 p.m. Eastern tip-off. And this is a Creighton team that has been hit or miss this year, to say the least. Uh, they have a blowout win, 20-point win over Villanova at home, and was like a 30-something point loss at Villanova this week. So really, it's the duality of Creighton basketball and Greg McDermott right there. Yeah. This is a, a talented, and I would classify them as unexpected Creighton team. Um, mm-hmm. Team picked to finish eighth in the conference in the preseason coaches poll. Um, they're ten and four right now, two and one in conference, holding their own. Um, they gave a beat down to Villanova, but then they also took a beat down from Villanova. So you know, really, uh, I, I think the sample size is a little small. They've only played three conference games, kind of an enigma, but. Nevertheless, you can't take them lightly. And I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. You cannot take any team in this conference lightly. Um, It's just the nature of the Big East. Yeah. And I I think for me, at least looking at this game, the Friars are a better team than Creighton. I don't really doubt that. What really comes into play here, that's two things. One, Creighton plays better at home. That's where they've gotten their big wins this year for the most part, with the exception of uh, beating BYU on a neutral site. But in addition, the, the Friars are without A.J. Reeves. So you got to man up. This is a game that you can win, arguably should win. you got to find a way to do it without him. And losing a three-point shooter at Creighton, I think it's, it's tough. You need, I think, 
my my opinion on this, you need Noah Horkler to step up. I would agree. I, I think Horkler, and if I'm going to look for another three-point specialist, I would say Durham. You know, this is something we saw a lot from him in the non-conference. You know, obviously he's hit threes during conference play, but not as prominently or as, um, what's the word? Clutchly. That's a word I made up, but not, not as clutch <laughs> as during uh, non-conference play. Um, some may call it luck, but others will call it clutch. Um Ed Al Durham hitting deep threes late in the shot clock in the second half against Wisconsin. Some may call it luck. I call it clutch. But um, I, I think you're right. Horkler and Durham need to step up from beyond the arc. I think Manaya too, who is someone we, who we haven't talked about, who has been the unsung hero these past couple of weeks for the Friars. Um, he's improved his three-point shooting. He hit two clutch threes, extremely critical late in the second half against St. John's. Um you know, just to spark the momentum run that basically sealed the game for us. Um, it, it's going to be a team effort. You can't rely solely on one person. But if those three guys in that order, Horkler, Durham and Manaya can hit their threes, uh, you know, I, I think that will hopefully make up for the absence of Reeves. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game for sure. A little scatting report for you on Creighton. Uh, they're led by a trio of Ryans. There's Ryan Hawkins, a transfer from D2, playing his first year up at the D1 level. And he's been lights out for them. Averages over 13 points a game. He leads them in scoring. He leads them in rebounding. And he can dish the ball, too. He can do it all. He's very talented. You mentioned Manaya. I think this is who Manaya is going to go up against. He's a forward 6'7", 222. That's going to be a matchup to watch, especially when Creighton has the ball. Then Ryan Kalkbrenner. Skinny as all hell, seven footer, two inches taller than Nate Watson. Watson has I don't know, about 40 pounds on him, but he scores and he rebounds. He does a lot of things really well. He's not quite in that Zach Fremantle mold, but he is that skinnier big who plays tougher and plays with a lot of skill. So Nate Watson can bully through him, and I'm not worried about that, but he can get his block. So he'll get a fair share despite how small he is. So you're going to have to work through that. And the third Ryan is a freshman, Ryan Nemhard. That last name may sound familiar. His brother played at Florida when the Friars got killed by them at the Barclays Center and then ended up on that Gonzaga team last year. And he's been fantastic. He's a top 100 recruit this year. He's averaging over 12 points a game and he leads the team in assists. Yeah, I mean, um, Hawkins has been a surprise, especially, you know, coming up from division two. Um, and I, I think your point about Manaya is absolutely correct. I think as a general rule of thumb, looking forward at all these big East games, like Man- expect Manaya to guard the, the team's best player, the team's best scorer, the X factor, et cetera, et cetera. Manaya is our best defensive player. He played a whole ass 40 minutes against St. John's like, and in the post-game press conference, Ed Cooley said, I'm going to keep giving this guy minutes until he proves me wrong otherwise. So Manaya is going to get the tough matchups. And he's shown us that he can handle it. And he's shown us that he can handle it and score in double figures. So Manaya is the unsung hero of the past couple of weeks. Uh, expect him to 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 keep continue his, his dominance on the defensive end. Ryan Kalkbrenner. He's improved a ton. I think to... To start out positively, I'll give him credit. He's improved a ton from last season. Last season, he was a starter at some points against some bigger teams and just got his ass handed to him. You know, couldn't really defend. He's skinny. He's tall, but he's skinny. He'll block like a a 5'10 point guard uh, layup, which is fine. It's like 
adds momentum and it looks nice, but when it comes to his one-on-one matchup with Watson, you'll remember the game at Creighton last year. They had to take him out because Watson was torching him. And Watson mm-hmm. basically torched Creighton both games last year, specifically in Nebraska at the what is it? The Chai, the Chai Center on Dollar Beer Night, which is every night. But yeah, they've, Watson, they've changed the name of that arena a handful of times now. Yeah, I don't even know what it's called anymore. <laughs> but Watson, you know, Creighton is a team that has historically not played big ball. Um, Kalk Brenner's improvement ha- has changed the narrative a little bit. Um, but I- I'm still expecting Watson to eat. You know, this is a, a this is a fifth year big man who owns the the size advantage with respect to girth on this guy, and, and also like Kalk Brenner just couldn't keep up last year. He's improved. I think Kalk Brenner's going to get his. But this is a matchup. I mean, Watson needs to find a way to win it. I think the veteran experience. I mean, that'll that'll really help you out here. The size will help you out here, and he's done it before. I don't think it'll be as much of a, a disparity between the two as it was last year. But you still gotta you still gotta beat that one on one when you get it. That's that's gonna be the key for Watson here. He's gonna the, the shots are gonna be a little bit more difficult for him than they were against St. John's. You still gotta find a way to hit him. That's gonna be it for him. Um, two other guys for this Creighton team to watch. One Alex O'Connell probably heard that name before. This is his sixth season in college basketball. His second at Creighton. He was four years at Duke before this. He's also scoring in double figures for them. He was a top 100 recruit back in the day. He hit that three, send the game to double overtime at Marquette for them. Very similar to A.J. Reeves, that shot. This is this is like the experienced guy for Graydon. This is their leader on the floor. So that's what to watch for there. And the flip side of it, Arthur Kaluma is a freshman forward, the, another top 100 guy. They get these recruits. He's from Boston. He's a guy from our neighborhood and he's been another really solid play from them and they have another freshman trey alexander they have a freshman who is a redshirt freshman whose name i'm gonna butcher if i try to say it that's uh, roddy andronikashvili so i mean they got all these really? guys who are good what was that mamu kalashvili <laughs> almost it's the uh, instead of mamu it's andro uh, call it big andro and andro plays the two i don't know if that quite has the same ring to it he does play the two, though. He is a guard. Oh, no, no. We, we can't copy that over. Mamu only played the two. Yeah, that's that's a Mamu thing. But, yeah, this team, they're young, but they go deep. They got a lot of guys that can beat you in different ways. And I think the key, you can't beat yourself. Against the younger team, you can't beat yourself. I, I'm going to I'm gonna um, repeat what I said against Wisconsin in that preview. It, it's This is a game of, of age against beauty. You know, uh, the eye test, which is another common college basketball term, points to all signs point to this is a, a hot and young, feisty Creighton team with a lot of highly touted recruits. And, you know, they're playing well, then they're young. They have some senior leaders. But really, it's like it's like a new hot team versus, yep. the you know, the, the old guys at Providence, the old heads, the the tenured veterans, the experienced guys, they've been war tested, battle tested, as Ed Cooley likes to say. So it's really it's going to come down to experience versus raw talent. And I think yeah. that's going to be the deciding factor tomorrow night. Agreed. Yeah, this is a Creighton team. They turn the ball over a ton. They're good in the paint. They are not that good from three point range shooting themselves. I think. 
if, if you're Providence heading into this one, you just want to play good basketball. If you go to Creighton, you play good ball, and some of these freshmen just have the game of their lives. They put it all together, and they beat you. Fine. It stinks. It's a Big East road loss to a team that played well. It's going to happen. It's not going to hurt you that much in the long term. But you cannot beat yourself. If Creighton's turned the ball over, they're shooting themselves in the foot, they're not hitting shots, and this game is still close down the end, and you can't put them away, that is where you start to get concerned. I'd rather lose this game playing well than win this game playing terribly when it comes to the long-term prognosis for this team. Because if you have, I don't know, I mean, they had a bad half of basketball against St. John's in the first one. They played bad basketball all game against Marquette. Suddenly, if you play bad basketball here, then that's, that's three games in a row where you're doing that. And you don't you don't want to put stretches together like that. You need This is a veteran team. You want them to just stick together, keep playing that Ed Gooley ball. Matt, I'm going to respectfully disagree. If we play bad basketball and get the win, I'm going to be happy as hell because yeah. all it's going to do is improve our record. So yeah. I, I, I understand. I'll, let me, yeah, let me clarify. You're, I'll take the your points I'm well never taken. I'm complain about a win. I mean for the prognosis of this team long term. Because if you're no, struggle, no. if you really struggle with Creighton, that's that's going to be an issue. No, absolutely. I know where you're coming from, and your point's absolutely well taken. Um, if you struggle and you play poorly against Creighton, yes, I'm absolutely going to take the win. But I think when you look yourself in the mirror, you have to realize that, um, like you said, this would be the third game in a row, the third Big East game in a row, where you played stretches of poor basketball and you need to fix it. Because um, I, I think sustainability is the the key word here with the Big East, you know. Hot flashes will will only do so much for you. If you're sustainable and you can survive the the tenure of the Big East season and play consistent basketball, that's what that's where Big East championships come from. It doesn't come from a, a six game win streak at the end of the season, as Friar fans yeah. are very familiar with. That's hot and that's it's a fad, not sustainable. Beating teams that you're supposed <clears throat> to beat by playing your brand of basketball is sustainable. Yes. Yep. That's the way to do it. And that's you got to do the basics. Villanova lost to this team because they couldn't keep the ball. They didn't turn the ball over, but they got killed by Creighton on the boards. And this is I mean, if you're Providence, the game plan here is pretty simple. Don't turn the ball over. Make sure you you don't lose that turnover differential. Really, with how often Creighton turns the ball over, you don't want it to be close. You want to win that handily. The other thing, box out on defense. Don't give Creighton second chance opportunities if you do that absolutely if you if you do that no matter what else happens hello you're gonna have a uh, you're gonna have a chance down the end and that's really all you can ask for in a road game in the biggies and that's bare minimum if you do all that and you're shooting the ball well and you're passing the ball well then you can easily beat this team by 10 if not 20 points which you're always gonna take a road win at creighton no matter what the circumstances are Yep, absolutely. Sorry for my dog. Yeah, he wanted some, he wanted some attention. He's just, you know, it's it's Pip. He's a he's a big fan of the team. He's got to get a word in. I understand. I understand Pip. Yeah. I also think Matt back to back to business here. It's worth noting that Ed Cooley and um, Greg McDermott are good friends. Um, so these games always have have an added layer of drama to them just because of that friendship. Um, they're golf buddies. You know, they they spend a lot of time in the off season together. I, I always think it's fun, you know, uh, poking fun like I get your goat, like beat you at your own gym. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
yeah, that's the way to do it. And hey, the, the other big thing here, if you find a way to go out and win this game, you beat Creighton at Creighton, all right, well, they come visit you near the end of the season, and I don't know, something weird happens and you drop that game, you already have the win against them. It, you're playing with house money for that one. If you get the sweep, it's awesome. If you split with, again, this is the, the moral of the season. Like if you, if the Friars split with everybody, you're going 500 in Big East play. You're in the tournament based on what they did in non-conference play. Yep. So, if you get the win now, then gives you can play with house money later on in the season. And if you're playing with house money, you might lose focus or you might gain focus. You might play with a little bit more energy and excitement because at that point you're playing for fun. You already know you can beat them. You don't have to beat them. There's no pressure. You're beating them because you can. You're asserting your dominance on them. And if that gives you those opportunities late in the year, that's even better. Yep. I agree, Matt. I think that's going to wrap it up for us in this one again. I mean, Ed Cooley with a chance to go tie Dave Gavitt for program wins with 209 at Creighton Tuesday night. This will be on Fox Sports 1. It's a late game. Make sure you got your coffee. You're going to need to stay up late for this one. 9 p.m. Eastern tip. And yeah, we'll be talking to you after the game. We'll give you a recap and we'll give you a preview as the Friars take on UConn on Saturday. Looking ahead a little bit. That's the schedule of things look for the next week so yeah make sure you're staying with us right here make sure you're following us on twitter subscribe wherever you are listening to this for joe howie i'm matt st jean thank you for listening go friars